Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. So I'll be the first to admit that I'm utterly confused with U.S. immigration and visa laws. And I also fully admit that I paid little attention to the issue. So when the founders of The Hidden Dream reached out to me last month, I knew I had to have them on. The Hidden Dream was built to raise awareness of the countless struggles faced by visa immigrants, to share resources, and to create a community to uplift immigrants who have spent several years in this country without a pathway to citizenship. I learned that it's a topic that many immigrant communities are scared to talk about or even embarrassed to talk about, and I think that's why it's time to put this topic on the mic and share it with the world. Now, for this particular episode and with The Hidden Dream, we do focus a lot on the Indian diaspora, which is caught in a decades-long backlog for employment-based green cards. The co-founders told me that families face severe repercussions, including splitting up of families when children turn 21 and some are forced to self-deport. I hope you guys enjoy my interview with co-founders Sumana Kaluvai and Shiksha Sneha from The Hidden Dream. You know, since we don't know each other, I, I kind of, if you can give me a brief background, kind of when you immigrated here from India, if that's the case, and then what you're currently doing now, whether it's school, working. And then, you know, Sumana, I know you're a dog mom. I read that. You have a two year old dog named Puri. Puri? Puri, yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then, um, Shiksha, I know you love binge watching TV. So did you watch, did you, did you finish watching Bridgerton? Of course, okay. in one day. <laughs> so we'll have, we'll have to kind of like talk about that for like two seconds. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, give me a little background on each of you uh, and your story uh, up until, you know, the hidden journey, hidden dream journey started. Yeah, uh, I, I could go first. Um, I moved to the States when I was two years old. Uh, I was born in India. Um, so my dad came first. My mom and I came um, about a year later on H-4 visas, so the dependent visas. Um, We were on those visas for a majority of my life. Um, And then I grew up mainly in California. I didn't really know like what being on a dependent visa meant until my senior year in high school because I got a job as an ice cream scooper. And then um, I like took the employment paperwork back to my parents. I'm like, hey, I got this job. I can help out. Like, can you help me figure out like how to fill this paperwork out? And they just like looked at me and they're like, you can't take this job. And I was so confused. And that was kind of the first time I understood, okay, my status has restrictions. And then I later found out it meant that applying to college is difficult. You can't get financial aid. You can't do internships. And um, it wasn't until college I found out that as you approach the age of 21, you're at risk of having to self-deport. Or if you overstay your visa, you're at risk of deportation at that point. And you have to switch to an independent visa. So um, fast forward to me turning 21, I go to India, I try to do the visa switch, a whole bunch of stuff happens. Um, It was actually quite difficult. But once I come back, that's when I realized that like, hey, 
no one's talking about this. So I wrote a couple medium articles and I found other kids like me and I was like, oh my God, there are a bunch of us out there. And after I graduated um, from UCLA in 2019, I started a Facebook group to just kind of spread knowledge and resources for kids in the situation that grew to about 500 people. And then in 2020, my dad unfortunately got stuck outside of the country because of travel bans and COVID. And that's when I um, reached out to Brandon Stanton from Humans of New York and shared my story with him. And when he put my story up on his blog, things just kind of blew up. And I found um, like hundreds of kids in this situation. And when we were all in a group chat, and that's how I found my amazing co-founders for The Hidden Dream. And we rebranded the Facebook group into like a proper nonprofit that it is today. So yeah, that's that's Very my story. Cool. Okay. I currently work full-time as a um, biotech slash pharmaceuticals consultant because one of the downsides of your visa is you have to do a job related to your major. So the hidden dream is something that we all do as volunteers past work and school. Very cool. Very similar story. I moved here from India when I was 11 years old okay. and I've predominantly lived in Michigan, though I did live in Ohio for seven months. Um, but Michigan fan. Very cool. I went to undergrad at Michigan State. I studied political theory and public policy. And I actually didn't know anyone in this situation. Um, you had an H4 visa as well. Is that what it's called? Okay. Yes. So my dad was on H1B and my mom, my younger sister, and I were all on H4 visas. Is that the case for your parents too as well, Sumana? Like you're both your dads got the visas for work here. Is that Correct. what it is? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, go ahead. Yeah. I didn't know anyone else in this situation. Um, I did know that I wasn't allowed to work. So I did a lot of um, fun projects on the side that got me stipends, you know, to kind of survive uh, undergrad. Or I would get gifts from people um, through gift cards or something um, that helped me kind of navigate undergrad expenses. Right. And I also realized when I was applying to Michigan State that they actually qualified me as an international student, even though I've been living in Michigan for eight years at that point. And so it was a lot of, that's how I got my foot into advocacy, actually. It was a lot of fighting with administration, a lot of emails, a lot of meetings, um, getting them to kind of see my perspective. And that's, I actually started an immigrant rights organization at Michigan State for other students, specifically actually undocumented students that were also being charged international tuition um, at Michigan State, even though they've lived in Michigan their whole life. And then through that organization, we started a scholarship for immigrant students. Now, currently, they're working on a fellowship. Uh, We got involved into advocacy with other student organizations, uh, looking at marginalized populations at MSU. And then it was time for me to turn 21 and age out of my visa, which actually coincided with the pandemic. Um, So when that happened, I applied. Also, a lot of people don't know, like applying to change your visa is very expensive. So I couldn't do it earlier um, than when I did because I simply didn't have the funds to show. Why is it so expensive? So you have to show in your bank account, a certain amount of money that you can pay international tuition and expenses. Even though I was paying in-state tuition, I had to show like, I think 50, 60K in my bank account, which I just didn't have. And 
a little background, I had to email a lot of like advisors, professors who were willing to like give me scholarships so that they could show that for my F1 visa. Wow. Um, Because I simply didn't have like 70K to show. Yeah. Um, I mean, who does at that age? (laughs) Who does that? Yeah. Who has that? Right. And so when I applied, I applied March of 2020. And then the pandemic hit, USCIS, which handles all this paperwork, shut down. Um, So up until August of 2021, I had no status um, because I didn't, like, they didn't, first they were shut down and then it takes so long for them to process any of this, um, like paperwork. And I was set to start grad school first week of September at the University of Michigan. And they told me that I couldn't start grad school until I got my approval. Um, And so this is like early August and I'm kind of freaking out because that would mean I have to go back to India because I can't stay here uh, if I'm not in school. And I haven't been to India since 2010, you know? So like I've been here for the last- Well, this has become your home. It's become my home, yeah. Um, And I I wouldn't know what, what to do if I did go back to India. So I wrote to a couple senators and representatives and literally two weeks before classes start, uh, I got my approval. And so currently I'm doing a grad school master's in higher education at the University of Michigan. That's amazing. Wow. What a story. Um, A few questions. One, is everyone that you guys are working with, is is it, is everyone from India or is it Indian students only, or is is this just anyone? And then two, why has it been the case that no one's talking about this? Why do, why do you think? So, Mana, you can go first. So, regarding the demographics of who's kind of uh, in this situation, it's primarily kids who were born in either India or China. Th- those okay. are the two main countries, followed by Mexico and the Philippines. And that's because these are the four countries that um, – Families from these countries suffer the most in the green card backlog. And that's because in order to get a green card, there are different lines for each country. And each country can only get 7% of the total like group of visas or total amount of green cards that are there a year. So only 10,000 visas can go to each country. But there are like over 100,000 people from India applying each year, for example. So just one year is going to take 10 years to process. So, um, and then each year people are applying. So right now, um, I think it was projected that the wait time for someone who entered the line for a green card right now is 89 years if you're from India. And then um, Cato had like a article that said uh, a projected 200,000 Indians um, will pass away before they get their green card. And the part where children kind of suffer in this is if the family doesn't get a green card by the time people like me and Shiksha turn 21, then we get kicked off our parents' green card application. And that's what happened to both of us. Uh, So that's why like a lot of the kids we serve are from those four countries, but they're also uh, kids who are on E2 visas. And those are like a specific set of 70 countries where families from there can come start small businesses in the U.S., And they don't even get to be in the green card line. Like, they don't even have that option. So kids in that situation um, are from all these different countries. And, like, uh, they're not even, like, victims of country caps. They're they're just screwed over because they don't even have an option to get into the system and get into any sort of line. Right. I think maybe it's a South Asian thing or an Asian thing. But 
it's just embarrassing for a lot of people to talk about the fact that we're not citizens and that we have all these struggles associated with being an immigrant. I mean, from a very young age, I was told not to mention my visa status or immigrant status to anyone. Also, there's a fear, like, you know, if you admit that to someone, they could report you or complain about you to someone. Right. Um, And your whole life can, you know, can get ruined because of that. There's also just not enough knowledge about this topic among our community as well. So we hear a lot from um, kids in our community who are basically like, this is the first time I've ever heard of anything related to the situation. I didn't know I could, like someone said, she didn't know she couldn't work until her senior year of high school, right? Like, I didn't know, like, I wouldn't qualify for in-state tuition until I went through the process. Right. So there's not, there wasn't resources out there for you guys to like, be like, uh-oh. oh, this is maybe what I should do, or these are the steps. Yeah. Okay. And honestly, the Hidden Dream is probably the only space right now that provides such a comprehensive list of resources with scholarships and like how to guides and how to like survive in college as a dependent visa holder. You know, I looked at your website, all the resources, the support groups, the networking. This is your team that built this, right? All the resources mm-hmm. and guides. And, mm-hmm. and how did that process happen? We Did you guys just research the shit out of everything? <laughs> Kind of. I think it started off with us just hopping on a Zoom call and then complaining about so many things in our lives and then taking right. each complaint and being like, okay, what's a loophole that we can use wow. to address this issue? So like yeah. the first problem was we can't apply to scholarships because we don't have a social security number. Then we were like, screw that. We'll create our own scholarship. Then we were like, okay, we can't get internships. Then we were like, okay, well, we'll create our own internship program, find (laughs) our own mentors at companies. And that's just kind of how we went through things step by step, like ranging from scholarships to jobs, to how to guides, to mentorship programs, and yeah, there, and there are even more cooler things in the works right now that I'm, I'm just so excited for. And this is all available online, right? On, on the yeah. website. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyone can join. There's no like membership or no, it's, it's, it's a, basically a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned this earlier, Samana, that you, you know, started as a Facebook group and like, I think, I think 2019. Yeah. And then, you know, it's kind of going through your timeline. I think last year you guys raised over 10 K you have over 500 dreamers in your Slack group. So financially, how are you able to support the group and who are your partners? The past two years that we've done fundraising, it's just mainly been family and friends. Okay. And people just hear our stories and they understand how limited um, the resources are and how little knowledge there is. And they're just willing to help out. Like our right. top donors are just friends of friends of friends who just hear right. And then this year, we started getting more um, corporate partners. For example, we partnered with BetterHelp, and they donated over 150 months of therapy to kids in our situation. Um, We're also talking to a couple startups and other organizations that want to donate and law firms want to get involved because they realize like, these are their people. And like, if we don't support this financially, no one else has the incentive to. And we're also looking to finally qualify to apply for grants. So that's something that we have started looking into as well. That's awesome. I mean, you think about this, right? And you would just assume by now, a bunch of immigration lawyers would have gotten together and kind (laughs) of like put this together themselves because they're the ones looking at these cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, It's amazing that it took 
you guys having gone through the experience like students as students to put this together. Mm-hmm. And I'll have to say, you know, I'm Indian American, so I was born here. When you guys reached out to me, I knew very little about the visa situation. Like mm-hmm. I just sadly never paid attention to it because I didn't have to. And I have a cousin who who immigrated here when he was 20. My father helped him with the visa stuff. He finally got his green card. So I knew a little bit, but it just seems so confusing. I didn't bother to understand more. So mm-hmm. if you guys can help me out a little bit more. So I know you mentioned the H4, the E2, there's an L2, an F2, a J2. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so can you break it down for, for me in the audience? What are all these visas? You guys are focusing more on children who are dependents, right? Mm-hmm. And why are people at risk for deportation? I don't know if you can simplify it a little bit more because it just seems like a lot. Basically, all of these visas are some type of work or employment-based visas. Each letter stands for a different like category, um, which I I can definitely explain, but it's an alphabet soup of different visas that allow people to come into the U.S. and work. The interesting thing about the U.S. immigration system is you as an individual can't just apply for a green card. You need either someone um, from your family to sponsor you or an employer to sponsor you. So in this case, since these are all work visas, um, step one is to get into the country with a work visa. Step two is to find an employer who's going to sponsor your family's green card. Now, if you find an employer who sponsors that green card, then step three is getting in these different lines. And these lines are determined by two things, your country of birth, and then they're also determined by the type of employment-based green card you're getting. So like PhDs are a different line versus bachelors, all that sort of stuff. And the hard part is once you get in these lines, the wait times are so long because of country caps that people are hopeless. And like, I get it when country caps were first implemented, saying that every country gets an equal amount of green cards. It makes sense, right? In theory. But in practice, um, there are way more people. There are no country caps to get in. So a flood of everyone from just like four or five countries comes in. But then when you get to the green card stage, someone from one country, it takes like a whole lifetime to get that green card versus It doesn't seem very logical. It, it doesn't. It's just really outdated policy. Okay. Because um, like, yeah. if they're going to give you a cap on the green card, then mm-hmm. why not just cap it from the beginning? Exactly. Either cap it from the beginning or have no caps, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And- or something that's a little bit more consistent, right? Mm-hmm. And the H-1B okay. lottery, like in my case, um, I had three shots. Well, technically there were over six or seven draws because of COVID. They just did multiple draws and I I didn't land it. And my like status expires in four months. And my only option to stay in the country is to go to grad school. So it's just like, people always say like, why don't you just apply for a green card? Why don't you just get into line? And for people listening, I want them to understand that like, that's literally not possible. That is not crazy. You would just assume that's the next step for people like me that don't know anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the craziest part to me is the lottery system that Sumana briefly just mentioned. Okay. So once you, so we switch into a student visa when we turn 21, right? And right. so once we graduate, we have to start work. Um, so you start work. You start an- work in the line in your, whatever you majored in. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. So, and you're on something called the OPT 
when you start work. Okay. So it's just like something that your F1 gives you. So you can still work on an F1. And your employer has to file a work visa for you. So an H-1B visa in most people's cases, which is what our, for someone like me, our dad came here on an H-1B visa. So we're kind of like restarting the cycle, but for ourselves. Right. So, but the big problem is that they file the H-1B for you, but the U.S. government randomly picks people to give the H-1B to. Like it's a lottery system. So huh. for a lot of people you'd never get picked in the lottery. So Sumana didn't get picked the last three years, you know. Oh, you, can, so, you keep applying. Yeah, you apply every single year and you'll get picked year after year. Okay. And then It's like charter schools. So <laughs> for, for STEM majors, you get three years. For non-STEM majors, you get one year. And so, yeah, if you don't get picked, you, you, you have it, you're to... You're out. You're out, yeah. So what about... Your father's then right now. What visa are they on? H-1B still. H-1B. And that that can keep them in the country as long as they're working for her, for however long. This is a question we get all the time, and it's a great question. Your H-1B is meant to only last for six years. You get it for three years once, then you get oh, okay. one chance to renew it. But then the reason there are families here that have been here for like decades is because once your employer files for the green card, then you can just keep renewing that H-1B. Oh. That cap of six years no longer applies. Okay. And the crazy thing is at that point, a lot of people feel tied to their employer and um, they also feel forced to work all the time because if you get laid off, if there's any gap in employment, then everything gets messed up. You lose health mm. insurance. Um, people can become undocumented overnight. If someone passes away, it, it's just such a mess. Yeah. But then you definitely need some better help for sure for that therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, it's crazy. It's so stressful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was, just, I was I'm trying to think of the one example in my family. So he, my cousin came in 2002. We sponsored him. He went to college in Houston. And he got his green card. And he, then he got the employer, blah, blah, blah. I think they must have sponsored him. He got his green card within like 10 years. Mm-hmm. Is that fast? Um, I w- So what happened was... Up until 2007, 2008, it was pretty realistic to get a green card in a reasonable time frame. Okay. And then in 2008, um, they did this thing where they cleared the backlogs. They just were like, backlogs are getting too big. We're, we're just going to like hit reset and like help everyone in the line. So then the people who are suffering right now, like Shiksha, me, the people in the hidden dream, it's because our family's green card um, cases are most likely our priority date. That's what they call it is okay. post 2008. So the backlog oh. of these like millions of cases for employment based is 2008 onwards for family based. I have friends from Mexico who their families filed for their green cards like 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And like the kids still don't have it. Cause like, that's a whole different type of backlog. Um, so all, all over the place, it's messed up. Actually, today, they're marking up a bill in Congress called the Eagle Act to okay. try and relieve backlogs for uh, employment-based and family-based and also just kind of, A, get rid of country gaps and B, um, just try to like address other issues along the way. Right. What What's the total number right now of people, of kids in your situation? 250,000 is the estimated number of okay. lucid dreamers. It's a lot. I was going to say that's 
not even covering like the spouses who are on dependent visas because they go through their own set of problems because now they're completely financially dependent on their spouse, right? right? A lot of them aren't able to work. And that comes with their own like set of issues. You know, a lot of us can't go back to our country of birth. So you lose like that family and societal component too. Um, and yeah, so we, we are currently working on like support groups for uh, dependent spouses as well. But there, it's it's just so it's so many more people than those two fifty k kids are that are affected. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So you, I mean, you guys have this like amazing community that's that's growing. What are like some of the biggest fears and complaints you're hearing right now? Trying to find a job okay. because since kids can't do internships or work before they switch to that F1, we're kind of behind our peers in university. And then like, if you don't find a job within 60 days of graduation, you have to leave the country. So yeah, finding jobs is number one concern for these kids. And then I would say followed by that mental health, like talking about this, finding others to lean on for support. Like it, it it takes a huge toll on people and not just like mm-hmm. the kids, the parents, in my case, like my brother's a citizen, but he's still affected because the rest of his family can be forced to leave at any moment. So even U.S. citizens are being hurt by the broken immigration system. And I feel like people don't talk about mixed status families. Yeah, um, not at all. Shiksha, anything that you wanted to add? Money. There's just no source of like any sort of income when you're in college. Yeah. And also like I hear a lot from people is like how often they have to think about their immigration status. Like It's almost like you can't go through your life without having to think about immigration. Right. You know, like driver's licenses, like writing an essay, like any like any sort of like normal, normal like thing that an American teen has to go through. Like we have to think about our immigration status like on a daily basis. Right. Um, And I'm going to ask you kind of a a naive question because I know very little. You know, my dad, my parents immigrated in 67 at a time where they were asking Indians that were engineers, doctors, lawyers to come over, right? A highly educated one. So at the time, it seemed like there was this big influx of of Indians coming in and it was an easy process. And I, I, you know, I don't hear any like stories from my parents about it. So how has it become just insanely impossible this past 50 years or has immigration and the whole process kind of been up and down in, ter- in terms of getting in and the whole pro and like just it being a smooth and easy process for immigrants versus like now? I would honestly go to say that an immigration system, especially for people from India to the U S no longer exists. The U S wow. still desperately needs Indian labor they still need these engineers, these lawyers, these doctors, like um, specific professions where there is an extreme labor shortage. But by not fixing the actual system to allow these people to call America home, they don't want immigrants. They just want people during their prime years of labor life to work and then leave the country. Right. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Uh, Shiksha, did you want to add anything to that? The immigration system hasn't really changed since the 60s, right? Or since the 1991. But immigrants have changed and there are more immigrants here now. And the society, like, like the laws aren't catching up with society. 
And so it's just creating so many obstacles and problems for all of us. And it seems like no one is doing anything to change it. No like elected representative is working on it. Yeah. So what do we need to do to change the system? What are you guys working on right now? Obviously talking to officials, uh, but you know, how do we change these laws? What do we need to do? There are a couple different angles that people need to be ready to take locally, state level, and um, federally. For example, right now, I am a consultant for the state of California on a bill to help kids get in-state tuition. Uh, So if you are listening to this and you're in the same situation, it is really easy. Like, Reach out to your local state assemblyman, tell them your situation, and they can draft up language literally in a week to help you get in-state tuition. And it's a no-brainer policy in a lot of states. And you just have to keep talking to them and then um, share your story, attend testimonies. That's what you can do at a state level. At a um, a federal level, reaching out to your House of Rep member and your senator to share your story and specifically ask for support um, on three different bills. First, for children, uh, make sure that you are calling these representatives and asking them to support and sponsor America's Children's Act. That's one. Second, uh, for our parents as well, um, bringing up the Eagle Act. That's like main priority to support, followed okay. by the next option is the Relief Act. Uh, that's another um, proposed policy to help fix a lot of the issues we've talked about. But you have to talk about this issue. If we keep hiding in the shadows, then that's kind of where our name comes into play. Our dreams will always kind of be hidden, right? So yeah, love that. We got to talk about it. Shiksha? On the other end of things, you know, we serve, we have about 700 people in our Slack, but as we said, there are 250K kids in this situation. Right. So going to our social media, our Instagram, our Twitter, uh, supporting us there, um, spreading awareness about the situation, talking about it with your friends and family. And I know it's so scary to talk about your story. Like the first couple of times I even talked about it, I, like I literally cried. I cried in front of um, my university administrators. Uh, they had no idea what to do with me, but I couldn't, I didn't know how to say it or how to feel about it. But we kind of have to do it. We have to talk about our stories and about our situation because none of these resources that we have right now, any of our scholarships would have been possible if Sumana, me, and the other co-founders didn't talk about our stories. That's It's so important. That's like the first step, right? Talking about it. What What's the plans for this year? Any upcoming projects you guys are working on or anything new that you guys are going to be introducing? So we are revamping our survival guide. It looks so good. I'm so excited for So it's going to have um, 30 pages of information. If you are on a dependent visa and you have a question, I can almost bet money that the answer is in that guide. So I'm very excited for that. Um, we have a whole bunch of workshops, guides that are going to be released. We're giving out um, three scholarships for the spring cycle. We'll do another three in the fall. Um, we have our job referral network that's growing rapidly. We have about 20 companies on there. Hopefully, if we can get to 30 or 40 by the end of the year. So if you're listening to this and you want to help people, sign up to offer a referral to your company. You don't even need to be mm-hmm. an immigrant. You can be an ally. That's how you can help. We have conversations going on with um, different like VCs that want to support us. So it's it's just so exciting. And it, it's great to know that people just want to build out these 
resources. And we're also partnering with a lot of undocumented rights orgs because both me and Shiksha come from a background of doing advocacy in the documented space. And our like organizations from our past have seen what we have done and they want to partner and make sure that we bridge the gap between undocumented students and dependent visa students and make sure that like any policy moving forward includes both of us. Any resources moving forward include both of these kids. Um, so yeah, I'm probably missing some stuff on our docket, but there's a lot. <laughs> going yeah. I can see like, I feel like I can see a documentary being made about this. <laughs> like, yeah, I think what it is, honestly, is that the more and more people hear about this, they're going to be like, oh, like, I think they don't know how, like, what to do or how to help. Or maybe, like me, don't even realize what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's good that you guys are spreading the word because that's, that's, that's key. In terms of so helping, I know you mentioned that. What about donating? Can people donate? Yes. As we well? Welcome donations, yeah. Uh, on, the, um, on the site? It's on the website. There is a donate tab. And okay. you can also... Venmo, uh, the underscore hidden underscore dream, I okay. think. It's just, um, I'll, I'll, put that, I'll put that in my notes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, awesome. We can get you all the donation links. Um, yeah. There's ways to donate through your company so that if you donate a dollar, it turns into two. Some companies even run like blitz fundraising campaigns where $1 turns into three. So, you know, like feel free to donate to us during those campaigns and you can get more bang for your buck. Yeah. Hey, we're Indian. That's what we do, right? <laughs> uh huh. And then, if you can talk about maybe, if, I know in your minds you don't know how where where this is going to go, and I know you guys are just building it. But is there an ultimate goal in your mind, or goals that you'd like to reach? The ultimate goal would be not needing the hidden dream, right? Not ha- not needing these resources because they would already have all of these things like to access, right? But I don't know. That's, a, that's, that's, an ulti- that's the ultimate goal. That's a good one. <laughs> no, I think, no, I agree with Chicha 100%. Honestly, the first thing that popped into my mind was like the hinge motto designed to be deleted. Like, yeah. Same thing for us. Like, if things go well, we're designed to be deleted. And I think, I think my biggest goal is if things are successful and we share the story, like, I am fine with 10 other hidden dream organizations, other people doing resources, other people doing scholarships, like that's not threatening or like upsetting to us in any way. That would be a win, win, win. The more Mm -hmm. people that build these resources and help, it helps. That is a huge win. There are like, Oftentimes in the nonprofit world, you'll see like B for drama where people are like trying to be the org or like own a community of people. Oh, be girl, that's <laughs> every industry. Right? Ever. Yeah. And like for us at the Hidden Dream, Especially with South Asians. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God trust. Yeah. We, can every, everyone calm down, please. Yeah. It's like fine. relax. We don't need to be a singular org to help the community. What would be a win is if all immigrants rights organizations eventually like help all communities and stop like dividing amongst themselves. And like, yeah. we got to be united. That would be, if we yeah. can help that, that, that would be a huge. I think our entire community needs to go to better help and like learn that. Lesson. <laughs> okay. Just everyone calm down. Yeah. <laughs> there's not a competition here. It's okay. There's, all need there's enough space for all. Yeah. I know. I hear it all the time. That's like the number one kind of topic that gets brought up on my podcast because I interview South Asians. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it's always nice. about like, yeah, it's 
competitive and other South Asians don't support others. And like, we all need to have a drink and just relax for sure. And what about you guys personally? Like Samana, Shiksha, say everything, you know, everything's going to go well, green card, citizenship. What would you want to do here? Job wise, career wise, anything, anything you want. It doesn't have to be your major. (laughs) Samana, you go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I've always said that my dream job is to open up a dog shelter, just like buy, buy like a big plot of land and then get a bunch of dogs and then just take care of them and then run a juice shop on like one corner of the land. That's like my dream job. But You're um, definitely it, in the right city for that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, in terms of like near projects and like, career stuff i'm going to law school this fall um, oh yay season. i went to law and school. then i'm also toying <gasps> no with this idea of like an interview type tiktok channel that i might start just for my own like you should oh, I, I just touch my mic but like i um just want to start like a blog for my own like happiness to like meet people and talk to them but it's a good not just it's a good outlet for what you're doing, but it's also a good creative outlet, right? Yeah. Like it's always healthy to have that. So I love it. You can do it all, girl. Mm-hmm. There's, not, there's not one road anymore. Trust me. I've had like 20 different careers. So Shiksha. Oh, see, that's my problem. I want to do too many different it's things. It's okay, but you should. <laughs> we don't have to focus on one thing anymore, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. And ideally, in an ideal world, if I'm a citizen, I would do so many different things. You know, I would be... A coffee shop, owning a coffee shop. I love coffee. That is one thing. Um, doing like local advocacy work, like organizing work, labor organizing um, in a cool city, maybe. Uh, traveling. I really want to just like go everywhere, you yeah. know, yeah. Um, leave the country, go somewhere else, live somewhere else. Yeah. Where would you want to live? Oh, everywhere. everywhere. Like <laughs> literally, I've moved. I've moved so much. I've never stayed in any place longer than three years yeah um so like staying anywhere for longer than that just seems like so strange to me yeah you know like I want to like I want to my ideal road trip my ideal road trip that I really want to do it starts on the eastern side of India right you go through China Myanmar and then you hit like Thailand Malaysia uh, like all those countries like in that area and just like try the local street food there, like go to different like sites there. Like I really want to do that one day. It's going to happen. But you throw it out there in the universe. I, I believe in this stuff. <laughs> it, it can happen. Yeah. That's awesome. And then for, for the hidden dream, who would be a dream collaborator or, or partner for you that you would like die to have? Oh my god! Any Indian American celebrity, like all the okay. names, um, Hasan Minhaj. <laughs> yeah, he, like, lives, he lives right down the street from me. No way. Should I knock? Should I knock on his door? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> the reason, like, um, I bring up these like Indian American celebrities is because, like, they all do a really great job about talking about issues back home in India. But then I'm I've always wondered, like, no one talks about quote unquote Indian American issues or like the issues that Indians in America are facing. And if y'all don't talk about it, like people back home in India, like don't know what we're going right. through, right? And like right. people back home in India do a great job about talking about issues back there, but totally. no one's talking about us. Totally. So, mm-hmm. that no, be- I agree. I agree. I think it's starting to happen though, guys. Like I interviewed uh, Sujata Day, who was direct, uh, she made that Netflix film, Definition Please. 
Um, yeah. and, and then Neil Patel just now, who's an author of Tell Me How to Be. And, and, and these stories are the Indian American story. So it's, it's happening more and more because I think yeah. – I mean, I agree. Like even, you know, for me who grew born and raised here, grew up, like I, I hear the stories about India, but I'm like, yeah, but that's not my experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like Indian Americans are a whole different kind of story. Sure. We're a little bit tied over there, but at the end of the day, it is about our stories. Yeah. Okay, cool. So we have ultimate collaborations done. Check. And then is there anything else that I missed that that's kind of key to what you guys are doing? I wanted to get like, you know, most people that are going to listen to this don't really understand it. Right. So I just wanted to get the basics down, but is there anything? You want people to know. Yes, One, of course. Like request or call to action for people listening to this. Yes. Something kind of disheartening that I've noticed is like a lot of people recently, like every year, 10,000 people get their green cards, right? And then they just kind of disappear from the movement. They like mm. don't talk about this, they forget about us. And like, um, I've noticed like some amazing TikTokers who have huge platforms who are on these visas, like, talk about it once and then they get their heart and then like don't mention it and I'm just like please like you guys have such a huge platform like mention this you could make real change and like I guess my whole shtick is if you've been through pain you should do everything in your power to make sure someone else doesn't go through that pain you know right Mm -hmm. right so that would be my call to action like people it's part of like the whole pulling each other up thing right just you can't just leave yeah Yeah. yeah no I think that's great and have you have you guys tried reaching out to these kind of people Yes, we get like one or two responses and then they're like ghost. <laughs> so. Everyone's just trying to be famous now. So I know. They're just busy doing yeah. thing. Um, awesome. Well, I'm done with my questions. I think this is, I absolutely love what you guys are doing. That's what, and it's such a unique like journey and mission that you guys are doing. And so I'm, I'm so glad you guys reached out. so happy I talked to them and learned a little something more about our immigration and visa laws. I had no idea. You guys check them out, thehiddendream.org. These are all students or graduate students that are, you know, doing this on a voluntary basis because A, they're passionate about it and then B, they're, they're going through it themselves. Uh, and so I think we should all support them as much as possible. Also, check out Eagle Act if you want, eagleact.info, sorry, if you want to learn more about the Eagle Act, which I had no idea about. Jeez, this immigration stuff is kind of confusing, but one step at a time. That's it, guys. Thank you guys for listening. This is Tuckered Out.